Hi, everyone. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. I'm Dr. Shiloh, and I'm here with my dashing co-host, Dr. Scott. Hello. Ooh, oh, you're just eyebrow. saying that because I have my filter on. <laughs> Your dashing filter. <laughs> a dashing filter, yes. Yes, yes, I am. Um, well, welcome back, everybody. We have your first forensic psych episode of December here for you today. But a little bit about what to expect this month, because of course it's the holidays, so nothing is normal. We're you have your episode this week. Next week we're going to have our vintage episode, and then we're going to be on a Christmas break for two weeks. So we'll have new episodes starting for you in January. There is going to be no live stream because we are doing our Patreon holiday party on Saturday, December 17th. So feel free to join Patreon. If you haven't, you still can. If you'd like to attend the party, we'd love to have you there. We're So we're going to be working hard. We're working on the new episodes for January. And then there's also the potential that we might be doing a live show with Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff next week. So just stay tuned to social media because by the time this comes out, if we're doing it, it's probably been announced and the information is probably out there. So yeah, we are fitting a bunch of stuff into the two week hiatus. You just won't have new episodes. So we will definitely wish you the best as we move towards the end of 2022. So let me do a little bit of an episode recap of our last episode, our last session with you guys. That was episode 119, and it was our doc review on parental abduction episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And like we said before, we don't usually grab one episode of a series, but I got to say, if you're going to grab one episode of a series, Unsolved Mysteries is probably one For of the sure. ones to, to pull because it's so good. This episode of that very famous miniseries looked at two stories of heart-wrenching abductions by co-parents. And we give you a little bit on the site concerns that might be here and some recent stats on child abductions. And we're kind of halfway committed to doing a full episode on all of the yes. data of child abductions. That'll probably be in the new year for you guys. So 70 episodes ago, which is such an <laughs> oh odd thing to say, 70 episodes ago, we did an episode all about the very Los Angeles-centric culture of police pursuits as entertainment. And we also looked at why offenders flee from the police, like how could they do what they're doing, and why we as viewers are so enthralled by the events. Well, you not so much. You said that it's not your thing, that a pursuit is on and you're like, ugh, in the first five minutes, right? Yeah, I am. I just, because I just don't get it. All I want to go is like, why, pull over. You're know, never going to get away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, again, like admittingly, I talked about my long held fascination with police pursuits and how it was basically a sport in my household. But after researching the numbers of victims impacted by the dangerous driving, usually on the part of the offenders, as well as pursuing officers, just having to drive at high rates of speed, my empathy definitely grew and I scaled way back. I'm trying to do my part and not contributing to the product, if you will, of police pursuits as entertainment since you and I did that last episode. So what we wanted to do was, you know, from time to time, we revisit a topic. And if we get more data or information or have a change of heart on something, you and I will put out a new episode revisiting that subject. And we wanted to give you more info on this topic through the victim lens and see really what the future of police pursuits holds. So essentially, we're going to change our tone a little bit today as we strive to do better and bringing you this information. And we'll, we'll see where this leads because 
because I, I do potentially want to have an expert maybe chat with us at some point, maybe on one of our live streams to talk about this from an advocate victim centered view. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Again, like we've, we continue to evolve as professionals, right? And mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of kind of seeing the bigger picture. And sometimes it, that's even instigated by some very thoughtful responses from our listeners. But so let's definitely mention a trigger warning for this episode. And that would be deaths caused by traffic collisions, because I I know that people who have lost loved ones in collisions or may have been in collisions themselves, they can definitely have a traumatic response. So be careful in listening, folks. Thanks. Absolutely. So when we did episode 50 on police pursuits, we got enough recognition from that that I ended up being featured on a, a TV show from the ID channel called Crimes Gone Viral. And they had me on talking about a specific pursuit that I happened to have been watching live. It was in the Southern California area. And I was actually doing a Facebook live watch party at the time, because that was something that you could do when you're getting live footage from the news channels. And this pursuit went viral because a big rig truck driver purposefully put his rig in the path of the offender to stop him. And it was quite the visual. I mean, with something you don't see every day, and it was quite the dramatic ending to this pursuit. And in this case, the suspect who was fleeing, he took police on this two-hour journey across the Southland, and he was definitely a bad guy. He was on active parole, wanted on carjacking charges, and was also a person of interest in a murder of another individual that was being investigated. And once he got towards the end of the pursuit, he was going against traffic, blowing red lights. He was driving on sidewalks. And this was like 6.30 on a weekday evening. I mean, really dangerous stuff. And he pulls out of a driveway that he had sort of been going in and out of and ends up driving right into this big rig, which had pulled, the driver had pulled intentionally in front of him just to stop this guy. And part of my commentary on the show was that the truck driver actually put himself and others at risk by doing that. And, you know, although in this case, it it stopped the bad guy, <laughs> this truck driver was, he was Egyptian and he was regarded as a hero back in his home country. I mean, he did, you know, the rounds on the, the TV shows and interview shows, but I felt like he had really opened himself up to potential injury to himself, liability if something bad happened. I mean, a, a piece could go flying off his truck and hit some innocent bystander. You know, as a result of this intervention, I just feel like it was really unpredictable. And, you know, if these pursuits are dangerous with trained law enforcement individuals behind the wheel, it's not a good thing when a lay person gets involved and and starts changing this up either. Yeah, I wish I had a clear, more defined understanding of my own perspective on this. I'm sorry if that sounds convoluted, folks, but it is stems from what you're talking about. You're you're absolutely right. Like he as the truck driver driving a very large piece of equipment stops something that itself mm -hmm. could have been dangerous to people as that driver, as that runaway driver gets more and more desperate, he's going to be willing to drive down wrong street roads, to drive erratically, to possibly kill somebody. But then the truck driver runs that risk as well. It's like the old, like the philosophy, the trolley car choice, you know, which one do you choose? Oh, like, yeah. You make a choice as to, is it going to be one person that gets killed or is it four 
people that get killed. And we don't know, you know, and they, they say, I mean, like there's a lot of criticism in police forces for the amount of disengagements that they have, but police many times are in that same boat as well. And sometimes a disengagement is absolutely the right thing to do. Pull back, reevaluate, right. disengage, intervene to the extent that you can. But I do know there's a, a controversy about these chases is that they are saying, we've got drones, we've got helicopters, just follow them. But sure. How much damage can they do on the way of just letting somebody run rampant? So yeah, there therein lies yeah the question. You know what? We'll get into it, but it's like what we don't we can't predict the future. So for what we do know in the statistics and the research that we have, what is the safest thing to do, especially for people who aren't involved in these? Yeah. So let's revisit some basics in case you didn't catch that episode. And if you haven't, please go back because our sound was pretty decent by then. Anyway, the definition of a pursuit, a pursuit is an event involving one or more law enforcement officers attempting to apprehend a suspected or actual violator of the law in a motor vehicle while the driver is using evasive tactics, such as high-speed driving, driving off a highway, turning suddenly or driving in a legal manner, but failing to yield to the officer's signal to stop. So interestingly enough, we like to think that these pursuits go on for hours and hours. I know right. that would be your choice because it's so entertaining, <laughs> but most pursuits really only last about two to six minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not the norm for them to last two hours, even though it might feel like it here, because the the other notable thing that we honed in on last time was that this is a distinctly Los Angeles phenomenon. Oh, although yeah. I know obviously these take place in other places, but we talked about how this is not only the entertainment capital, which sort of feeds what our news might look like, but also how we're just a freeway city and you can drive for hours and hours and hours and not ever have to stop until you run out of gas. The freeways are a way of life here. So they are plentiful and prime for setting up sort of this this racetrack for pursuits. And then because of all the, the traffic issues here, this is kind of a, a cyclical effect with all these factors, but we have helicopters uh, or on call at least like 24 hours a day covering Definitely. the freeways. So they are up there already ready to get the footage and primed to go to beam it into your household. So it's, you know, it's, it's just a very strange thing. And, and I think being on this other side of it, again, after checking myself and how much I contribute to this and really, really scaling back to look at it through this lens of just what do we know about the research and how can we do better overall? So I, I think putting forth some research and statistics is a good way to sort of jump this off at this point. I love that. So approximately one person a day is killed due to a person fleeing from the police and the police pursuing that person. One third of those killed are bystanders that had nothing to do with the pursuit. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yep. That's where I get worked up about it. Additionally, one officer dies every six to eight weeks as a result of these pursuits. Yes, and I wanna make a correction on myself because I totally misspoke in the last episode. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, this is basically a core part of my job, but I said that traffic collisions were the leading cause of death of officers. It's not, it is in fact suicide, of course, but aside from suicides of all the different types of things that officers can engage in on the job, traffic collisions are what take their lives above and beyond anything else, being shot, being injured, and then dying from their injuries. Traffic collisions, whether it's a pursuit or not, is definitely the leading second leading cause of death for police officers aside from suicide. Well, it'd be the leading 
in uh, for on call or like for on, on duty, duty, right? Yes. For it'd be the leading reason for on duty. Yes. Got it. So there were 46 deaths in 2020 as a result of police pursuits. And that is the highest since 2006. But death is not the only outcome either. Many police and innocent bystanders have significant life-changing injuries from these kind of crashes, not even limited to brain damage, being paralyzed, lifelong medical issues that are incredibly challenging and expensive to manage. So let's look at some of the concerns about the pursuits in terms of myths versus facts. We're pulling this from the PursuitSafety.org website. They're a national nonprofit that provides awareness, education, and advocacy services for pursuit safety and legislation regarding pursuit policies. And just a note as a thank you for their work and for their data as a resource of ours, we made a donation to their organization for this episode. I am also, again, working with them in, in talks with getting one of their educators to join us for a live session, perhaps next year. Great. So myth number one, if officers don't chase, more offenders will flee. Research absolutely does not support this myth. The majority of criminals are caught by good investigative work, not by a chance encounter or a chance pursuit. Additionally, the idea is that people who choose to flee are going to flee no matter what the policy. We love this quote by Lieutenant John Specht from Hillsboro, Oregon PD. Abandoning the pursuit does not mean the officer stops apprehension efforts. Rather, the officer initiates other resources to bring about the apprehension, close quote. Thank you very much, Lieutenant. Yes, that spells out what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, totally. And we talked about this in the last episode. You know, I, I talked about a pursuit where I literally had the guy's driver's license in my hand and he took off. And when my supervisor canceled the pursuit, totally the right call. This guy was driving erratically. And we knew who he was. So, yeah. you know, just do some follow-up investigation and put out a warrant for him. Easy peasy. So myth number two is something I think we also mentioned in that episode was sort of this idea that there's a dead body in the trunk. And if you recall, I gave the example of Timothy McVeigh, you know, basically stopping someone for something super small that then leads to the discovery or apprehension of this big crime or this big offender. However... Research proves that this myth is mostly false. We hear it so often as if it's an everyday occurrence because something like, oh, pulling Timothy McVeigh over for expired plates and then realizing, oh shit, he just committed the Oklahoma City bombing. Huge news story and sounds good as a, as a war story, but how often is something like that happening? It just really, really is quite rare. Most pursuits are just not leading to big payoffs in terms of catching criminals responsible for really serious crimes. Yes. So again, another myth, because research completely debunks this. We're referring to Jeffrey Alpert. He's a professor of criminology at the University of South Carolina. And he says that most are deadbeats making stupid decisions to avoid being caught for not having a license or some offense that would be very minor compared to what happens when they initiate a pursuit. Wow. Now that goes yeah. back as far as 2003, but I think that that actually is still very accurate. Yep. It is. And I'm actually glad that he was brave enough to say it was just a stupid decision. It's really, I mean, I don't know if I'd go so far as to describe if I was going to be quoted in a professional magazine, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call people deadbeats. That's a little bit like 
making a lot of assumptions about someone and what their motivations are. But I would say that it's impulsive and not well thought out. It's a very stupid decision. Dr. Albert, he is very blunt and he's very good at what he does. And I've, I've gotten to know him in the last couple of years. So that it doesn't <laughs> surprise me that that's his quote. <laughs> I mean, I kind of love it. I wish I had the latitude to say something like that, right. but I doubt. A Department of Justice study and Dr. Albert's book, Police Pursuits, What We Know, report that the unknown driver who flees is rarely a murderer, a rapist, or a child sexual offender. In fact, only about 10% of the drivers who flee are violent felons, and not all of them fall into one of the three categories mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're seeing this sort of lineup for us that these are sort of BS reasons that people run most of the time. And how do we start the way that against this really dangerous situation? Going back to Dr. Alpert, again, I when we, I think when we did our episode 50, I was just starting a stint in the training division. And through that is where I got to know him. And I mean, really, he's a national treasure when it comes to research and issues of policing. And he studies the hard stuff that there is to talk about, police pursuits, right, implicit right. bias, officer-involved shootings. And he is a data guy. And I, I so appreciate him for that. And he also really appreciates law enforcement and, and works closely with a lot of top law enforcement leader organizations to sort of impact policy based on evidence. After, so after I did that ID channel show, I was also asked about pursuits for this new podcast that is coming out on a big podcast network. It's not out yet, so I can't tell you what it is. I even reached out to them to say like, hey, are there any updates? Because we're doing this new episode. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's been pushed. So we'll let you know. So we'll let you guys know what it is when it comes out. But I was asked to speak on that. And then Dr. Alpert is also contributing to the show. So I was very excited to hear that they had gone to the source. And I told them and I was like, thank you for getting him on there. Now I don't have to go research and memorize all of his <laughs> his research that he's done because he can speak from it from his point of view. That is really cool. So keep us posted. Yes. And then and we'll jump in and share it on our end as well. So it's the idea of these myths, I think, that drives the idea of these myths, it seems, is that drivers flee for all sorts of reasons. And then the majority are not serious offenses. I mean, and that statistically, factually is has been proven to be true. Chases are initiated for stolen cars, shoplifting, and joyriding. And I would think joyriding is probably the younger. It'd be interesting to see if we kind of parse out those numbers that joyriding is the younger offenders. Some offenders can be those young teens and they may be running because they fear their parents will be mad at them if they get caught yeah. or get a ticket. So again, you know, that prefrontal cortex is still a big bowl of shaken jello. It's not fully formed. It's exactly. not sending the right messages to the kids to like, oh, I need to go take my lumps. Instead, it's saying, run, just run. You can outrun the police in your yeah. dad's Ford Taurus or something. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but this is true. I mean, it, anecdotally, uh, I know like this isn't very robust as far as statistics, but only one of my pursuits was a really serious crime. Mm. And this, this is the one that I said ended up as an officer involved shooting at the end of it. But it started as a man who had been discovered standing over a child in her bedroom, total stranger to this family. And the mom chases him out. And as she's chasing him out, she sees that he has a gun in the car and turns out that previous throughout that night, he had been involved in a carjacking, an armed robbery at the drive-through window of a fast food restaurant and the attempted murder of two of his friends 
and in some weird like threesome that had gone bad. I think it was very meth fueled, <laughs> but like this whole night of violent crime was just, this guy was very, very methed out. But I'm sure we can all agree that this guy needs to be pursued, right? And taken off the street. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you even, you know, though we kind of ruefully chuckle about the influence of drugs. I mean, when meth is involved in situations like this, again, it goes back to that idea of really suppressing the decision-making processes within the brain, which leads to some pretty bad decisions. I think it's something that most of us can agree on, but there's still this idea of two camps on the issue that the advocates and the public who see it as dangerous, and then the police who can see it as a tool that they can use to help them fight crime. So I wanted to read this excerpt from an article that Dr. Alpert wrote on the way people for and against pursuits think. So this is a quote from his article. What's particularly interesting about police pursuit debate is how often is presented as a choice between A, something that is good, and B, something that is bad. At a recent policing conference, an officer passionately argued in favor of not restricting police pursuits because, he stated, letting a bad guy go was dangerous. In his mind, if letting bad guys go is bad, and and most agree it is, then pursuing them must be good. Those on the other side of the debate adopt an equally good or bad perspective. If high-speed pursuits put so many innocent people, including police officers, at risk, which is bad, then restricting high-speed pursuits in the context of nonviolent offenses, at least, must be good. I really appreciate him parsing that out. Yeah. So do I. I love the way his mind works because what we're seeing is yet another problem with all or nothing thinking. And that's what he's pointing out, right? Right. It's either good or it's bad. And then this has two sides pitted against each other when we want to be thinking in the gray and thinking creatively. So here's some simple stats for you to consider, I think, as we move in the direction of the gray. As a caveat, though, with some of these statistics, there are, so there's no national data on pursuits, like there's no requirement for departments to report in certain types of stats to one national database when it comes to pursuits. So some of this is pulled from media reports, and we know how that can be a little bit skewed, but let these sit in for a second because 40% of police pursuits end in a crash. It's huge to me. I did not know that. 20% of those end in traumatic injury. And as you recall, we noted at the top of this episode that a third of the deaths caused by high-speed pursuits are of innocent bystanders. It's, It's not the offender fleeing. It's not the officer who's engaging in this as part of their job. It's just someone not associated with it at all. 91 percent of pursuits involve nonviolent crimes, usually traffic violations. So if the overwhelming majority are due to something minor, but 40% end up in crashes, this like the punishment here, the quote unquote punishment or the outcome does not fit the crime, really, I think we can say. So Dr. Alpert and Cynthia Lum they're the ones that put out this book on police pursuit research, and they show that approximately 72% of pursuits result in an arrest and 30% of all pursuits result in a crash. So they're saying it's more in eh, about 30 to 40%. However, most of the arrests occur when the pursued vehicle crashes. So it's not because the offender is pulling over and surrendering and going, okay, you guys, you got me, you chased me for long enough. No, they crash and then they're taken into custody at the end yeah. of the crash. So, you know, it, again, like it's just not making sense. And when we're looking at 
some of these more hard numbers, the stuff that isn't taken from the media, you know, it really needs to move us into getting away from this all or nothing thinking of it has to be zero pursuits happening or a free for all policy where police agencies should probably be looking somewhere again in the middle, like what makes sense with the data and the risk versus reward. Oh, absolutely. In that same article, Dr. Alpert goes on to say, like so many decisions, the pursuit versus no pursuit debate is not between good and bad. It's between bad and worse. Is letting criminals go bad? Yes. Is pursuing nonviolent criminals at high speeds in urban areas bad? Yes, they're both bad. Framing the question as one between good and bad interferes with our ability to engage in constructive debate in pursuit, if you will, of a sensible answer. Again, very concise and well-presented argument. Yeah, it, it. we just need to start thinking of solutions together and looking at what the data is showing us instead of sort of holding on to these old ways of doing things. Yeah, white knuckling it. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So Christie's Law was a California state bill introduced by Senator Sam Anastat in 2004. It suggested to allow police statewide to only chase fleeing suspects they believed had committed or were about to commit violent felonies. And the bill's statewide policy came under fire by police and law enforcement unions and did not pass. So I think, Scott, this is the same incident that you talked about in our previous episode, but I just want to talk about where Christie's Law sort of originated from in the incident. So if you recall, this was in January of 2002, and Christy Priano was a 15-year-old honor student in Chico, California. She was also a community volunteer. She's riding in the family minivan in the back seat with her brother on her way to a high school basketball game. And the family van was involved in a collision that resulted from a police pursuit. The mother of a teenage girl had called the police, complaining that her daughter had essentially taken her car and was driving it without her permission and said, I think I know where you can find my daughter. She was basically out for a joyride. And within seconds, the chase was on. The police had found her. She was careening through a residential neighborhood dotted with two-way stop signs, which is actually a violation of the Chico police pursuit policy. They weren't allowed to pursue in residential areas like that. And the teen and the police both ignored the stop signs, even though the intersecting streets had a right of way. And at the intersection of the fifth stop sign, the teen collided with the minivan that Christy was in, and she had been sitting directly behind her father who was driving. Christy died from a massive closed head injury. She it resulted in a crushed brainstem, extensive swelling that caused her brain to rupture. It took seven days for Christy to die, as her mom notes. But that same night, within hours, the police had sent the joyriding teen home with her mom, and there's no reports that she was ever arrested for the collision. So- Christy's mom has has a website, has a blog where she does some writings. She's closely tied with PursuitSafety.org as well. And they're just constantly pushing for legislation to at least make this a national standard that police agencies have to abide by. Well, some agencies are shaping their policies to be evidence-based, which means 
going by research to mitigate negative outcomes. So this sounds like the right thing to do, but it should also help with the liability issues. And thanks for bringing up that particularly egregious example of, of these kind of situations. Like that was one that really sort of illustrates the what the police are up against in making these mm-hmm. decisions. In 2015, the New Orleans Police Department implemented a policy restricting the authority of police officers to engage in high-speed vehicle pursuits for non-violent crimes. It was highly debated for the time. This was about, what, seven seven years ago, yeah. In 2020, the Atlanta Police Department chief put forth a no-chase policy prohibiting officers from engaging in pursuits. But in 2021, the department rescinded parts of its no-chase policy. The 15-page manual states that an officer can engage in a police pursuit when they have direct knowledge that the fleeing suspect has committed or attempted to commit a forcible felony and that the suspect's escape poses imminent danger. Those forcible felonies include murder, vehicular homicide, armed robbery, carjacking, aggravated assault, kidnapping, escape, and both voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. The officer also has to have a supervisor's approval before they can begin the pursuit, the policy said. Yes. And then earlier this year, the Cincinnati Police Department implemented a new policy limiting police chases to, quote, violent felony offenses only. And then for some big city context, Chicago PD are forbidden from chasing for traffic or theft offenses, and they are required to balance the police action against the risk to the public, which is something we talked about last time. It's constantly a, a balance, uh, an assessment that is done throughout the entire pursuit. So that's that's pretty much standard for everyone, but it looks like a lot of places are starting to outline what they can and can't do. Yeah, or at least start the discussion. I mean, there may be some back and forth and rolling back and playing with boundaries, but at least it's being talked about. So let's just illustrate two of these tragedies in addition to what we've already shared. In March of this year, 2022, in the Santa Fe area, shortly after 11 a.m., law enforcement was notified of a kidnapping in progress at an apartment complex. A man armed with a knife had allegedly stolen a vehicle with a woman inside. Santa Fe police located the vehicle about 10 minutes later and attempted to stop it, but the driver fled in the car with the woman still inside. Police pursued the driver who then allegedly entered Interstate 25, traveling northbound in southbound traffic. Incredibly dangerous. The driver then switched course between two exits and began traveling southbound on the side. So then at mile marker 286 in the northbound lane, A crash occurred involving at least four vehicles, two Santa Fe patrol units, the fleeing vehicle, and an uninvolved vehicle. Santa Fe police officer Robert Duran, who was 43 years old and had been on the force for seven years, and an uninvolved motorist were killed in that crash. The other motorist killed was a 67-year-old retired firefighter. The female victim in the suspected kidnapping was able to exit the vehicle and was taken to a hospital. She was treated for non-life-threatening injuries and released later, according to New Mexico State Police. The suspect fled on foot and was still at large. Wow. So that's one of those wild examples of when it goes horribly wrong, killing a civilian bystander, basically, and law enforcement. Yeah. And then the the offender runs away and thankfully the woman he kidnapped didn't die because yeah. God, the trauma that she's experiencing too is awful. There was another case in October of this year in Oakland, California, where Augustine Coyotal was just seconds from arriving at his job when f- a fleeing suspect collided with his car. His coworkers, he was so close to work that his coworkers heard the crash 
and were able to see the aftermath from their job site and later asked police, hey, is that who we think it is? And they confirmed Augustine's death. Really very sad. I mean, you, you just think about these. I think when I see them on TV or when I hear these stories, you think about all the potential victims, because what if you were just got up for work, you know, three minutes later or three minutes earlier or something like that, you know, and it, with this poor guy happening right outside of his work. It's just something I think about when these factors all come together. But what happened here was that 23-year-old Jonathan Hernandez was being chased by officers after being accused of flashing a gun during a hit and run earlier in the week. So Hernandez was arrested after the crash and the officers involved in the chase were put on administrative leave as they sort of review the pursuit. It's pretty normal, especially when it ends so tragically. They want to make sure that all the policies and rules have been abided by by the officers. But Augustine Coyotl was 44 years old. He was described as his niece as a joyful person, as someone who was loving and caring, and as someone who cared for all of us. He would sacrifice his own happiness for us to be happy. He would help us. He was just an amazing uncle. So, you know, these there's two stories here, but I mean, there's endless amounts of stories. These are not just, quote unquote, innocent bystanders. These are sons and kids and uncles. And there's a ton of stories that you can read about people killed in police pursuits on PursuitSafety.org. If you want to read their tributes, if you want to hear who they are from their families to put some context to the innocent people that are killed. So I think where we go from here is trying to do better. It's trying to be educated. I kind of have my foot in two circles, right? Being former law enforcement, working for a law enforcement agency, but also, you know, being research minded and looking at this from a evidence-based perspective and how can we all just do better. And even if it's just the statistic, like I didn't know one officer every what, six to eight weeks dies in a police pursuit. I think if I had heard that statistic when I was younger, I would have had a little bit more apprehension. You know, yeah. I, I, you feel like you're well-trained and okay, you go to driving school and you train for this. And like I've said before in the other episode, like the adrenaline is just, it's a fun experience. But I think if I had had a little bit more awareness about even my own safety, and honestly, I mean, these statistics about innocent bystanders, I definitely would have made different decisions for you know, sure. Yeah, I something that has come up recently for me, and this is in no way, absolutely in no way, am I inferring, implying that any of the people who are victims in these police pursuits, that they're, you know, collateral damage, mm -hmm. not saying in any way that they are responsible for it at all. And I also have observed that, you know, and so I'm sure somebody can out there can say this is a boomer thing, <laughs> but I do, re there seems to be something that has shifted in the past 15 years and yeah. I almost, I can nail it down to 15 years, 15 years ago, when you heard sirens, everybody pulled over, mm, like you, yep. you pulled over, you turned on your emergency blinkers. That doesn't happen anymore. In fact, you see dumbass drivers continuing to drive and you see some of them that are intentional like oh look I, this is a way for me to jump four blocks ahead and be an asshole and then there are other people that just look clueless like they have no idea that oh this my is God, a thing I know. but that 
I mean, I know it is anecdotal, but I, I questioned myself. I'm like, no, I, because I'm always hyper aware in situations like that of looking around and seeing if people are pulling over and it just doesn't happen anymore. That's a great point because, you know, I see that is it's all of our responsibilities as drivers of having the privilege of having a driver license yeah. is that you know the law and you pull over to the right immediately if it's safe to do so because one of course it could be a police pursuit and then you just want to get your ass out of the way you don't want to be in that line of you know these cars careening down the roadway but it could also be they're trying to get to a medical emergency and you could be holding that up but also if there's an officer that's pursuing or a bad guy who's driving if you are now in their way, that's one more thing that they're thinking about and being distracted by with yeah. all of this other stuff going on. Oof. So it, it, it's a good point. I think people are way more lax in yielding in when lights and sirens are coming up behind them, whether it's a fire truck or a police car. But yeah, I, I mean, there's just these numbers are just you cannot do the mental gymnastics to get around them. You they are what they are. They're pretty clear and. I think policies across the nation have to be redone. It's not worth it. It's just yeah. absolutely not worth it. And there's this this thing that we talked about a little bit last time where it seems like police supervisors, as you kind of get more educated on this and a little bit more mature, you realize that, you know, this isn't cops and robbers on television. You have to make some very sometimes conservative, you know, choices and maybe the bad guy gets away, but at least you don't kill a little girl walking to school that day. Yeah. Or an entire family crossing the street, you know, yeah. which has happened in the past. Right. Again, another unexpectedly fascinating episode. Thank you for suggesting that we do a redo or a revisit of this subject, yep. you know, from several seasons ago. And uh, although we don't do seasons, a couple, yeah. of, a couple of years ago. <laughs> eons ago. Yeah, a couple of eons ago. And like Dr. Shiloh said, we will not be seeing you regularly for a couple of weeks as we take a little bit of time off for the holidays for some big life changes for both of us. And then we'll talk about that later on. <laughs> Scott's pregnant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. Oh, got cramps. But we'll have your vintage episode next week and then we'll be yes. off for two weeks. Yeah, that sounds great. And we will see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, folks. We sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usri of Ear Cult Productions. The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. And you can check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at alienistentertainment at gmail.com. Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. 
Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live streaming scheduling announcements. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. And lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast. With a subscription, you get an ad-free listening experience and you'll be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening and join in with us next time on LA Not So Confidential. Bye, folks.